Well, good morning, CWC. How y'all doing today? Are you good? Come on. Well, I know it is good to be with you guys and to be here. It's been a couple weeks, and and I'm 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 ready to to preach. Amen. And if you could, just grab your Bibles if you have a Bible with you. Matter of fact, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, please let us know. We've got Bibles. Um, we want to get that in your hand for sure. Or if you have a smart device, whatever. But <clears throat> turn to the gospel according to John. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we're going to move rather quickly because we got young kids with us today. And they have a hard time sitting still. And so I'm going to try not to keep you very long, but I can't promise anything because it has been two weeks since I preached. So I've got to fit three weeks into one week uh, for you. So that only means like an hour and 20 minutes. But um, yeah, but as you're turning there, let me just say, I mean, obviously, I think you can hear it in my, my, my voice here that I sound like I'm talking through my nose. It's uh, simply because I've been battling a sinus infection uh, for the past week that had me crushed and, and out of it. Um, but man, I, I couldn't, I couldn't miss another Sunday, another opportunity to, to bring the word of God. So we're going to push through it. We're going to forge through it. Um, however, I need your grace extended to me to get us, to get us through it. Amen. I never, I never worry about God's grace. I worry about the grace of man. Like, that's always the one that's a, you know, a question mark. Like, will, will they give us grace? But, um, no, it's good. But you guys can help me preach by being interactive with me. Amen. Perfect. All right, let's go ahead and let's just, let's just start reading. Because this, this passage in John 10, starting in verse 7 through 10, is what we're going to read today. It's really where the Lord began to remind me, not, not reveal to me because I already knew it, but he, but he had to remind me that just like our stage says, it's all about Jesus. I don't know about any of you, but I need to be reminded often because there's so many things in this life that's pulling on us and bidding for our attention, trying to, to get our focus placed on people, places, and things. It's, it's real simple to start to get distracted because of all the distractions that the enemy puts in front of us. And, and, and sometimes we like shiny things, right? And we'll look for shiny things and get our focus off of him. But, but man, we've got to remember that it's all about Jesus, it really is. That's what this life is all about. And God used this passage in John 10, starting in verse 7, to, to remind me of that. And this is what it says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is the door. Tell him, Jesus is the door. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Obviously, this is Jesus speaking. It's him speaking. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because you guys have heard me say this multiple occasions right up here, is the word for truly, truly, the Greek is amin. Amin, amin is what he's saying, which is very important to know because it adds a clarity. It adds a weight to what Jesus is saying. He's the only one that actually can use this term He's the only one and use it correctly because what he's saying is before he even says what he says, what I'm going to say is going to come to pass. It really doesn't matter what you do or what you think or even what you believe because I said it, it's true, period, because God's word never returns void. And so this is what he says before he even says it. And he says, I'm, it's undisputable. Truly, truly, let it be so. I am the door of the sheep, of the sheep. Now listen, this seven through 10 is packed 
with all kinds of gospel truth, doctrinal truth, theological truth, but we only have time to focus on one aspect of it. But I do want to say this. When he says the sheep, he's talking about you and I. That's who he's talking about. I just want to make that, that clear. See, he is the good shepherd, right? He's the one that leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us on paths of righteousness for his name's sake, right? He's the good shepherd. That makes us the sheep, and this is who he is addressing. This is who he's addressing. I am the door of the sheep, verse 8 says, and all those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, if you read the full chapter, what you'll see is that Jesus actually goes into the shepherd and sheep and this dialogue with the, the people he's talking to, and he begins to explain it a, a, even, even, even more. He says, my sheep, they know my voice, and they follow when I call. He said, every one of them that came before me, they were all liars. They were, they were all thieves. So, so my sheep, the one who have been called by my name, who've humbled themselves and prayed and turned from their wicked ways, those people, those sheep didn't follow after these other ones that came before me because they knew it wasn't me. And he reiterates in verse 9, I am the door. Come on, tell your other neighbor, Jesus is the door. We're going to say this today. Jesus is the door. Just get used to it. Be excited about it. Have fun with it. Jesus is the door. And he says, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What he is obviously saying, because he's not really talking about animals, people, we don't eat grass all that often, I hope not, um, unless we're dared to or something, but typically we're good on eating grass, right? Pastures really don't, you know, probably appeal to us very much. What he's saying is, is that you will find fulfillment in me. You'll be sustained by me. Everything that your, your heart and everything your soul longs for will be found in me. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they, so that they, so that the sheep, so that those, those who have given their lives to me, so that they would have life and have life more abundantly. Come on, if you like that this morning, say amen. amen. Come on. Now, to add just a little bit of context, which I, th I think is really important when you're trying to teach the Word of God and, and walk through the Word of God, not to just simply focus on one portion of, 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 of Scripture, um, that it's easy to take it out of context, but it's good to go back and get context, even when you're reading in your own personal devotion time. It's really good. You back up maybe several chapters even to get the full weight of what the Word of God is saying. And you got to go clear back to John chapter 8 in the middle around verse 30 of John chapter 8 to get the context of what Jesus is actually doing here. Because it's in John chapter 8 that Jesus begins having this conversation with the Jews in John chapter 8. Right? It's there that Jesus says to them, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He's saying again back in John 8, I'm the door. He's just not using that terminology yet. He's saying, look, I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the one that gives access to heaven. It, it's, only, it's only through me. And then he looks at him, he says, listen, if you want to really be my disciples, you better abide in my word and keep my word. 
And if you do that, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Hallelujah. Now, the Jews that he's talking to here, they're confused by it, actually. They're like, what? What? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're telling us we need to be set free. What are you talking about? We've never been enslaved to anyone because we've been sons of Abraham. This is what these people say. Now, if you know Jewish history at all or been in church for any amount of time, you would know that these dudes have lost their mind. That said this back to him. They were held captive for 400 years in Egypt. They were held captive for 70 years in Babylon. They were held captive by the Midianites and the Amalekites and the Amorites at different points and times of history in the Jewish nation. When they split off into a northern tribe and a southern tribe, man, they were, they, they were constantly in turmoil, the people of God, God's chosen people. Even at the time that these people say this, They are held captive and under Roman oppression. The Roman Empire has seized them, taken everything they want from them. If they like the house, they'll take the house. They like the stuff, they'll take the stuff. They like the camel, not the car, because you don't have a car. But if they like the camel, they take the camel. Like They took whatever they want. They were under bondage, so much bondage, when they said this. Which goes to show us this. That if we walk through a door and not the door, the enemy is so quick to blind us to what is actually happening around us. We'll think we're free and we're bound. We'll think we're happy, but we're really miserable. This is how the enemy, this is how the enemy works, and this is how he's working on them. See, they walk through a door of religion, which blinded them to the door of relationship with the king. And so they're like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? We've never been enslaved to anyone. We've always been free. Not only are we sons of Abraham, but we're sons of God. Jesus, of course, disputes this claim. He says, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, you are are sons. And yeah, you you do have a father, but your father is the devil. It's like, what? Woo! Don't spare any feelings or... Please, Jesus, tell us what you really think. Right? Like, they didn't care. Yeah, yeah, you're of your father, but your father's the devil. It isn't, it isn't God. And, and then after Jesus says this, of course, this gets them all riled up. And right after that, Jesus goes, hey, hey, look, guys, listen. Abraham, if you were sons of Abraham, you would recognize me. Because, listen to me, he says, Abraham, your father that you claim to be your father, rejoiced when he seen my coming. They go, whoa, what are you talking about, man? You're like 30 years old. Abraham's been dead for centuries. He's like, no, 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 let me, let me, let me be clear. Before Abraham was, I am. Which is so significant in the Jewish culture because I am was Yahweh. When Moses went to rescue the people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God shows up to him in a burning bush. How many know the story in Sunday school? A burning bush. And God says to Moses, when Moses asked him, who do I say sent me to tell the people to come out of Egypt? He says, you tell them, I am sent you. In other words, I am your deliverer. I am your redeemer. I am your victor. Like, I am everything you need when you need it. I am. And this really ticks these Jewish people off really bad. 
They, they, they lose their mind and they try to stone him. But the Bible says that Jesus hid himself from them because it was not yet his time, which I love, by the way, which is so powerful. See, these people couldn't kill Jesus until Jesus decided they could kill Jesus. He said this, they don't take my life from me, but I, I freely lay it down. Nobody can take what's mine because I have all authority in heaven and on earth because it's all about me. The Father has made it all about me. And so he escapes from their, their clutches. And what you got to see Jesus is trying to do very simply is introduce himself to them. That's all he's doing. He's saying, look, guys, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the one that all of your prophets have written about for all these years, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't receive him. So then you jump over to John chapter 9, which is an amazing chapter. It's one of my most favorite chapters in the entire Bible. John chapter 9. What you see is Jesus goes back to them again. He goes back to them again. But this time, he, he, he does it in a little different tactful way. Instead of trying to teach them, he shows them. Okay, fine. You won't hear me when I say it. I'll show it to you. I can show you better than I can tell you. That's what my dad used to say. I'll show you better than I can tell you. You're going to get a whooping. I'll show you better than I can tell you, right? <clears throat> And so what's he do? Right at the beginning of chapter 9, he heals a man that was blind from birth. They had never seen anything like it before in their culture. Never. They've seen open eyes of someone, but it lends itself to, in the context, is that a, no person had ever been born blind as a baby and then had their eyesight back to them. And Jesus does this at the beginning of John chapter 9. Right? This is what he does. And the city goes absolutely bonkers. These people go nuts. The Jews go nuts over it. And it's actually a really funny exchange, what happens in, in, in the scripture. And I can kind of picture it. Man, I love to put myself in the Bible. I just don't want to read it. I want to be in it. Like, man, God, this is awesome. How would I feel in the moment that this happened? How would I react? How would I explain it? God, how would I receive it if it happened in front of me? I mean, this man who had been blind his whole life, all of a sudden now can see. And what's funny is, is all these people in this city, most of which would have known him as a child. This says that some of the neighbors were there. Meaning these would have been the people that would have led him as a little kid because he couldn't see. And his mom maybe had something to do. And so, hey, they call up Nancy. Nancy, can you take Billy up to the store for me? Yeah, sure. And they're leading this little blind boy up to the, to the corner store to get whatever. I don't know why I'm calling him Billy. I just am. And so they all knew Billy. They all knew he was blind. And it's funny because you have some of the neighbors saying, hey, did you see Billy? Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's a miracle. Billy has received his, his eyesight. It's awesome. Can you believe it? Well, you got these other skeptical neighbors, you know, been like me. Like, yeah, all right, honey. That ain't Billy. That's not Billy. It looks like Billy, but it ain't Billy. You know, this is what happens. This is what takes place. And the whole time, it's really funny. The whole time, Billy's in the background. That's not actually his name, by the way. But he's in the background, and he's saying, guys, hello. Because he's in the room. He's right there as they're having these conversations. Kind of like what mom used to do to you. Talk about you while you're in the room. Like, hey, mom, mom, I'm standing right here. You know, don't say that. You're embarrassing me. Right? Like, this is what they're doing. They're having this conversation back and forth. He says, guys, I'm right here. And I told you. I am he. 
I once was blind, but now I can see. And I'm pretty sure because I was the one that lived it, I know better than any of you that it was me. He said, and Jesus is the one that healed me. The people don't know what to do. And so they do what people do. They grab him and they take him in front of leadership, right? Because they want guidance. They want to know, like, what do we do with this? How do we figure this out, man? And and so they take him to the leadership, to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day. And they they, they take him and present him to to them. And it's wild because what you got to understand, all this is taking place on the Sabbath. It's all taking place on the Sabbath. Well, on the Sabbath day, you're supposed to do nothing. No work, no nothing at all, okay? And so when they bring this man who had just been healed into the Pharisees, instead of worshiping God, instead of being amazed at who God was, how powerful God was, what God was doing through this man, Jesus, even if you didn't quite get it yet that he was the son of God, at least you could recognize the works that he had done and say, this has to be God. I don't know about the rest, but I know only God can do stuff like this. And instead of doing that, they get angry. They get mad that the healing took place on the Sabbath. And so then they start saying, oh, Jesus definitely ain't from God because he did it on the Sabbath. And they kick the man out of the temple. Get out. Get out of our sight. They have a little conversation with themselves. And then they call in the parents of this man. Go get me mom and dad. I want to hear it from them. Mom and dad comes into the room and they're scared to death because if anybody was found confessing Jesus Christ as the the savior of the world, as the Messiah, right? If, If they found anybody doing that, then they were excommunicated from the temple, which means you would have been excommunicated from society. If they kicked you out of the temple, you were done in society. This is why, man, listen, cancel culture was going on back then too, okay? It's not just today. Like, you know what I mean? There's nothing new under the sun. They're trying to cancel people now. They canceled them back then, all right? But this is what's happening. They don't want to be canceled. And so they say, we're not answering the question. Our son is grown. He's a man. You call him in. He can speak for himself. They call him back in again. The man comes back in. This time, they're really not asking him what happened. They already know what happened. Instead, they start to try to convince him that Jesus is not from God. And they say, Jesus, this Jesus is a sinner. And the man, he says, well, I don't know about all that. Like, I don't know if he's a sinner, if he ain't a sinner. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. That's all I know. And I only know that God can do these types of miracles. So whether or not this man's a sinner, God's using him. That's all I know. And they say, okay, well, then how did he do it? You tell us how he did it. He says, whoa, 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 guys, I already told you one time and you didn't listen then. Why do you want me to tell you again? Is it because you want to go follow him? I loved it. It's the most amazing thing. These Pharisees literally go ballistic. They start ripping their clothes and, I mean, they're freaking out. They're raging out. They're like, no. And they start berating this man, call him a sinner from birth. Who do you think you are, you sinner from birth? You, how dare you talk to us and try to teach us? And they kick the man out. They were trying to convince this man that Jesus wasn't who he was. But this man had tasted and seen that God was good, so nothing could change his mind about Jesus. Nothing. 
And isn't that the beauty of the struggles we find in this life and God delivers us from it? It just reaffirms in our heart that he is who he says he is. There's nobody that could convince me that Jesus isn't exactly who Jesus declares that he is in the scriptures. Nobody. He's as real to me right now as you are to me right now sitting in front of me. Because of what he's done in my life, how he delivered me and he set me free. Same thing with this man. He, you know, he's like, man, you can't convince me of anything except he is he is being used of God. Jesus hears that the Pharisees just kicked the man out of the temple. So he goes and finds the man and he says, hey, look, it's awesome. You received your eyesight and that's great. But you have to believe and receive the son of man. Important Jewish context. All the Old Testament prophets wrote about the son of man coming to restore the kingdom of Israel and, and all these different, different things. And so this man would have known that, that he'd have been taught that from a child, who the son of man was, which was the Christ. He said, you've got to believe and receive the son of man. This man says, well, okay, great. Take me to him. Take me to him. I'll, I'll do it right now. Jesus says, I'm he. The one that is speaking to you is the son of man. I am the Christ, is what he was saying. And the man says, I believe and Jesus, that's chapter 9. And then Jesus, after he performs this miracle to convince them of who he is, the Jewish people, they, they don't receive him or believe him. He comes back to, the, back to them again in chapter 10. He comes back to them again. How many of you are so grateful that God didn't give up on you after the first time he tried to convince you that he is who he says he is? I am so grateful that he came after me again and again and again, trying to convince me he is everything that I need. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so this is what he does for the Jewish people. It's beautiful. Think about it. Chapter 8 starts off, right? We get to the, to the middle of it, and Jesus starts this conversation with the Jews, and he's trying to teach them. They don't receive him. They won't believe in him. Chapter 9, okay, fine. I'll just do a miracle. They'll believe in the works. If they don't believe in my words, they'll believe in the works. Nope, they don't believe again. Nope. Matter of fact, they get angry, kick a man out, excommunicate him and his family from the temple. Really, really bad thing to do over it. And he still comes back to reveal to them again. One more time, I'm going to introduce myself to them again. Hopefully, they get it. And this time when he comes back, he likens himself to a door. He likens himself to a door. And, and, and I got to be honest, I love the illustration of the door uh, because it's a very simple, simple illustration, right? Like it's very simple. I'm a, a very simple man. So I need things explained very simply so, so I, can, I can receive what the word of God is saying. And, and Jesus makes it very simple of who he is. I, I mean, think about this. We use doors every single day. Multiple times throughout the day, we use doors. Matter of fact, we use them so much, we don't even think about them. It's just second nature. You walk up to a door, pull it open, walk in, hello, right? Unless it's not locked. Oh, then we knock, right? It's just second nature. We use them constantly. Matter of fact, these guys back then, these people back then, same thing. They used doors everywhere they went. So it was very easy to, to relate to them with this illustration about a door, Right? We use them every day. Some of us have front doors. Others have back doors. Others have garage doors. And others have basement doors. Right? We all got a bunch of doors. Right? Hopefully you got doors on your bathroom. 
Hope you got a bathroom door because that's probably the most important door. It serves two purposes, <laughs> smell and discretion. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> keep your bathroom door. If you took it off the hinges, put it back on. <laughs> Nobody in the house wants that. Bedroom doors, another very important door, especially us who are married and got kids, right? We need the door. I'm just saying, get my drift. But we all have a bunch of doors that we deal with on multiple occasions. And, and look, doors serve a multitude of purposes um, in our lives, right? They really do. I mean, for instance, a door serves as an entrance, but also an exit, Right? It's both. It's an entrance and an exit. It also provides protection, security, right? And and, and the list goes on and on. I'm not going to keep going through the different things that doors doors do. Because today I just want to focus on the two basic functions of a door. There's two very basic functions, which is this, to give access or to restrict access. If you come to my house, my door is either going to be unlocked to give you access or it's going to be locked to restrict your access, right? Like right now it's locked because I want to restrict everybody's access to my house. So that's what a basic function of a door is. And if we didn't have doors of all the places I just mentioned, then again, anybody and everyone could just walk in whenever they felt like it. That's terrible. Uh, mm -mm. I don't want that. So we have all kinds of these different doors in life, in the natural, in our everyday life. But did you know that there are doors that you cannot see? With your natural eye, you cannot see them. These are spiritual doors. Did you know in the, in the word of God, the word door is used in all the different languages associated with the scriptures is used over 400 times, the word door. And see, there's spiritual doors. And just like a natural door, the spiritual doors can serve different purposes. But again, the the main focus will be these spiritual doors give access or restrict access. And the major difference between the two, the major difference, is in the natural, there's a bunch of different doors, all the ones I just mentioned to you. There's a bunch of them. But did you know in the spiritual, there's only two There's two doors in the spirit. There's a door that will lead you to life. There's the door that will lead you to life and life more abundantly. And then there's a door that leads to death. Those are the only actually two doors in the spirit. These doors, again, give access or restrict access. Did you know the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 that God will open doors that no man can shut? No man can shut. Well, guess what? If God can open doors that no man can shut, you better believe he can shut doors that no man can open. And how many of you know this, that sometimes the best thing that could ever happen to us is shut doors? God, shut a door. I pray this multiple times throughout my week. God, I pray that you would shut the doors you do not want me to walk through. In Jesus' name, I need you. I need you to do it. Multiple times in my life, I've tried to open doors. I've tried to gain access into certain circles or around certain people and to do certain things, and God restricted the access. At the time when God did it, I was angry at God. Really, God? I prayed for this. I asked you for this. Why didn't you give give me what I asked you? Only to find out later in life, because hindsight's 20-20, I can look back on it and say, ah, 
That's why God restricted that from me. That's why he withheld that relationship from me. That's why he didn't let me receive that career or go into that field. That, that's why he blocked that for me. But boy, at the time, at the time it hurt. It hurt. Some of the best things is when God closes the doors to certain people, places, or things in our lives. And when I was studying for this and preparing for this, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart that, that this was a specific word for, for somebody that had just lost a relationship in their life. This was specific to them. And because of various circumstances, you've now lost that relationship. And I felt like the Lord said, hear me, that I've closed the door for you, but not to hurt you not to harm you. I've got something better in mind for you. I was saving you from all the hurt and pain that was going to come from that relationship, so I closed it. I closed it. If that's a word that spoke to your heart today, I pray you receive it in Jesus' name. Allow God to work with you through it and walk through the hurt of it uh, because you'll grieve it for a little bit, but, but God has something greater in store. And I pray that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding would guard your heart and your mind during this time in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. The best thing sometimes for us that God does for us is he restricts our access to certain people, places, and things. But one of the major, major differences, like I said, between the natural and the spiritual realm, right? The natural doors, front doors, back doors, da da da, da all those, all those different, different doors. There really are only two doors in the spirit, and we've got to understand that. There's only two, a door that leads to life and a door that leads to death. This is Jesus' main point in John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. This is why he says, I am the door. In other words, I am the only one that can give you access I'm the only one that can give you access to the Father. I'm the only one that can give you access to the Holy Spirit. I'm the only one that can give you access to the kingdom of heaven. But if he's the only one that can give the access, that means he's the one that can restrict your access, can restrict my access. Something to think about and to chew on. And what he says earlier, he says earlier in the passage, go back and read the whole chapter. But, but, but earlier he says this, he says, and there's no other way. You can't climb a fence. You can't enter in through a side door. There is no other way. It's just me. I am the door. Notice he didn't say I am a door because if he said I am a door, that lends, lends itself to there's another door, right? That's what it lends itself to. But no, no, he said I am the, I'm the door. So if you want life and life more abundantly, You've got to come to me and through me. But he also says there's another door there. It's the door that the enemy offers you. It's the door that the enemy will present to you that looks so pretty and so nice. There's another door. And if you open that door, then the thief will steal, kill, and destroy every good plan that I ever had for your life. This is what Jesus is saying here. And, and, and hear me, what we've got to understand is the enemy is so crafty at this. Oh my gosh, he's, he's crafty. He's the wisest of, of all the other animals, right? The serpent. I mean, he is so crafty and he has been doing this since the beginning of time, fooling humanity. 
I mean, he will take these doors and, and man, he'll dress them all up. He'll make it seem so exciting and so appealing and, and, and all these different things. Almost like a, the way I picture it, it's like, it's like a game show host. Like, hey, what's behind door number one, right? Like a brand new car, you know, like, or door number two, an all paid trip to Hawaii, whatever. He'll make it seem so exciting and so pleasing to the eye because he desires for us to open it and walk through it. And he'll offer us, he'll make it seem like there's a bunch of different doors. He'll love to give you options. Man, the enemy's biggest trick is to give you a bunch of options. I tell people all the time, listen to me. If you limit your options in life, you will help yourself not make bad decisions in life. See, if it's not an option to go to the bar, then you're not going to worry about getting drunk and getting a DUI. Like if it's not an option to cheat on your spouse, well, then you won't go and flirt with that other woman, right? Like, like none of that will happen if you limit your options in life. But the enemy loves to give you options, loves to give you doors. Here, 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 check out, check out these doors. And there's several different doors. Like he'll, he'll even offer you the door to pleasure. And listen, as human beings, man, we like to be pleased. Don't get it twisted. All of us do. We like to experience pleasure. It's actually something that God put in us. He gave us things to experience pleasure. So we, we like it. We enjoy being pleasured. But the enemy knows this and he uses it and perverts it against us. And perhaps, right, he'll present this door of, of, of pleasure, right, this door of pleasure. But it will come in the form of a boy or a girl, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I see this happen all the time. And they get dressed up so nice, man. They look so good. They smell so good. And they even treat us so very good. And so this must be good. And because it's good, it must be even God. Whole time knowing they don't even serve God, the boy or the girl. Right there, a tell-all sign. Like, oh, no, mm -mm, can't do that. Because the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to entertain that. Because God said. But I see it happen so, so often. We'll deal with that later. I'll just, I like them. They smell good. They look good to me. They look pleasing to me. So I'm going to take them, and then, and then we'll get them saved later. Most of the time, that does not work. Very seldom does it work. I know very few instances that it has, has worked, and God did it a miracle. It was awesome. However, I've seen it happen time and time again. And then people open that door of, of pleasure because obviously God doesn't want me to be alone. God wants me to be happy. And we'll convince ourselves that maybe this is even God. Maybe, maybe this door is even God, this relationship, because he knows I don't want to be alone. And so we open, we open the door but the problem is because we opened a door and not the door, we just gave the devil a foothold. And hear me when I tell you, the enemy only needs a foothold to wreak havoc in your life. He just needs a little bit, just a little bit to mess it all up. And then we find ourselves, the devil's got a foothold. I can't shut the door on him because he's already in. I'm already in. And now, man, them not serving God just falls by the wayside. And all of a sudden, the pleasure of just having someone and being with someone and not being alone, all of a sudden that goes away and now I'm starting to lust for that someone. And then I find myself in a sexually active relationship. I find myself moving in, living together before being married, living in sin. All these things pulling me further and further away from what God intended for my life. 
and I'm playing with fire now. And all of a sudden, I'm bound in a lustful, sinful relationship. This is how the enemy tricks us. He dresses it up as pleasure. And he uses it to bind us. And he makes it sound so pleasing to us. But then when we walk through it, I don't care how it looks on the outside. Eventually, it will lead us to death. I promise you. Because the wages of sin is death. There is no other, there's no other way. It's just what it is because the Bible says so. And so we find ourselves swallowed up in sin because we, we walk through a door of pleasure instead of walking through the door. Because if we walk through the door, the Bible says that his right hand is pleasures forevermore, period. Period. We'll find everything that we need in the moment that we need it. But if we are finding pleasures in the things that are leading us away from God instead of towards God, I promise you it wasn't God that, that presented the door to you. It was the enemy that gave you that door and you fell for it. And I've done it several times in my life. And thanks be to God that God pulled me out of that door, slammed that door and said, that's enough. Let's go that way, son. Amen. If we repent and turn, he's faithful to do that. It's awesome. But this is what the enemy does. And he uses so many different doors. Do you know one of the doors that are, that are really easy to get us screwed up on? One that I see screws up more people than anything besides relationship and pleasure. The second one would be the door to success. Oh, this is a rough one. The door to success can confuse us and mislead us so quick, so quick. And we open up a door to success. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves operating our business the same way the people of the world operate in their business. Even though we're called to be aliens and sojourners looking completely different. Mine might be the same business, but by how I operate my business, it's different than the way they do. But we find ourselves operating just like the world does because after all, they're successful. So I'm going to be successful like they're successful. And I just do what they do. Walk through a door of success. And I've seen this play out time and time again of credible men and women of God. Walk through a door, take an opportunity to grab success. Just to find themselves bound to greed. Bound to expanding their own territory. Bound to promoting and building their own brand. Because after all, that's what I got to do to be successful. So I'm going to do that. Over time, eventually, eventually, they will end up empty. Completely empty. Listen to me. The, the door to success is so tough. It's so tough. Because we all desire to be successful. It's deep within us, and not that that's terrible on, its, on itself or in its, you know, own thing. fine. I want to be successful too at what I do. I want to do everything unto the glory, though, of God. If I'm boasting, my boasting better be in the Lord. But it's so easy to mishandle the success of life. And, and here, here's the truth, man. If our businesses and what we're doing in life is promoting us and not the king, that's a problem. I mean, you don't have to like that. That's just the truth. And we better reevaluate how we're operating in our businesses and come back to the feet of the king. Lord, you teach me 
how to operate to show that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because Jesus is very clear. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where rust and moss can destroy, but, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that will stand the test of eternity and time. But if we're storing up treasures here, man, the, we can't take any of it with us. And if we want to store up treasures in heaven, let me tell you what that takes. I'm going to tell you what that takes. It's real simple. In order to store up treasures up in heaven, that means we're promoting Jesus above everything else in our life. If not, it's promoting us. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And, and listen, man, I'm telling you, the Lord has convicted me on this on different, multiple different times in my life about ministry. Because it's real easy to start falling into this thing about success and da-da-da-da-da, people tell you, whatever. And the Lord spoke to me on several different times. He says, Keith, if you're not building this thing for me, you're building it for nothing. If it's not for me, it's for nothing. He said, you can go ahead and go build you a new church, build you a new home. You can go buy a new car. You can do all that stuff and look, look successful on the outside, but you'll lose every bit of it. None of it you're taking with you, not a single thing. Boy, I had to hit my knees, repent, turn back to God, get corrected. Okay, Lord, I'm not trying to promote my brand. I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I just want you to touch a group of people and set us on fire for your glory. That's it. But it's so easy to get mixed up in the rat race of success, man. It's so easy because the world is trying so hard to pull you in it. And it's easy to tag God to it. Well, I mean, I'm successful because God said so. Oh, it's, we're so good at Christianese. We're so good at, we're master justifiers. So, so because I'm successful, it, it's all God that did it. Because after all, you know, God never changes. There's, there's no shadow of variation due to change and he only gives good gifts. So if I'm being successful, it has to come from God. And that's not true. If we took a door of success, instead of walking through the door and allow God then to do the things that he desires to do, well, then we walk through a door a door and not the door and the enemy can have a foothold on our business and in our lives at that time and the enemy is so good at presenting these doors to us to seem appealing not just doors of pleasure and not just doors of success those are just two doors that came to my mind that are pretty prevalent that people deal with. But man, there's doors of, of higher learning and education, doors of knowledge. Man, there's doors of position and prestige. There's doors of financial gain and wealth. There's doors of, of power and authority, even doors of hope and happiness. And I could go on and on of all the doors the enemy will offer you. But in the end, every one of those doors will lead to death. Every one of them. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across in John chapter 10 when he says, I am the door. If you desire to follow me, you've got to walk through me and then everything in your life's about me. That's literally what he's saying. If you seek ye first the kingdom of God and you walk through the door, you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then I'll add to you what I want you to have. And then if, man, God gives you a bunch of success, whoo, glory, right? It's awesome. But we don't have to try to make it happen. Not as Christians, because we believe that he will provide 
for all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And it's funny because Jesus doesn't say, you know, walk through the door of, of joy, right? Like, walk through the door of faith, walk through the door of religion. No, no, no. He says, walk through the door. Come through me. And if you come to me and, th- and through me, you'll find everything that you'll need in this life and in the life to come. Everything will be found in me. And you'll have life and life more abundantly. And, and listen, in closing, right now I'm getting ready to wrap up. But when we open even this door, right, and we look and we know what the wall says, what's it say? It says it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus right here on our stage. Because the Lord is trying to introduce himself to us, to remind us it's all about him. Everything else we build is in vain. If it's not found in him, if it's not promoting him, if it's not expanding his kingdom on the earth, it's all done in vain. Jesus is the door. And on the other side of the door with Jesus, when we walk through it, when we walk through him, then we'll find joy, we'll find peace, we'll find pleasure, we'll find hope, we'll find happiness, we'll find love, we'll find mercy. We'll find success when we walk through him. And not the type of success, though, that America sells us. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. No, no, no. The kind of success that knows that my confidence is found in him. No matter what you do to me, I know I'm good. Because the one who is greater lives in me. That's the kind of success that God desires for us to have. It's actually only in America that we preach a gospel that says you'll be wealthy every other country don't just here it's one of the things the enemy has done to America offered a door of success like it's God that's doing it hmm okay okay man Jesus gives us one door him that's it that's it and so the question this morning has to be very simply have you walked through the door not a door I'm not, I'm not talking about a door of religion. I'm not even talking about a door of 10-minute devotional in the morning. I'm not even talking about a door of listening to some Christian music every once in a while. No, no. Did you walk through the door? Did you walk through Jesus? Making all of life about him. Because that's what he desires from you, is making your life about him. And guess what? He deserves it. Because he gave his life for you. And in return, we're to give our lives fully to him, making it all about him. Come on and stand to your feet, please. Jesus is trying to introduce us to this truth that he's the door and it's all about him. And maybe today, man, we need to come before him and get on our knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've made it when it's all about you. I'm sorry for the things I've made it. I'm sorry I made it about pleasure. I'm sorry I made it about success. I'm sorry I made it about all these other things. I'm sorry for the things I made it because now I see it's all about you. Maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe, actually, maybe you've never even walked through the door at all. You, you're, not, you're not saved. You, you've never 
receive Jesus even a little bit, even in your heart. You've never asked the Lord to live in your heart. You just go to church because your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your mom and dad tell you to do it. And so you do it just to not argue and you come. But you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, to receive him in your life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you are saved, but there's all these other things that you've made way for in your life. And today, God wants us all to make him the center of our stage, the center of our universe, and allow him to bring the things in our lives that he wants to bring in our lives instead of us pushing to get the things that we want. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you begin to reveal to every heart and every mind in this place right now the places in their lives where they've walked through the wrong door. Hallelujah. I pray that. Reveal that to us, Jesus, right now. Convict us of those things, Jesus, because we know your conviction is your grace on our life. Reveal it by the Holy Spirit even now. And Lord, I pray right now for each and every person here that that God, by your spirit, you would just continue to lead them and guide them to yourself, pulling them, pulling them, pulling them to you, chasing them down, coming after them again and again because your heart is that you don't want one to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance so they can receive eternal life. That's your desire. And I pray that you would continue to pull on them. Lord, I speak a blessing over each and every person within the sound of my voice. I thank you for them. I thank you that they're here this morning. I thank you, God, that, that they were tuned into your word this morning. And, and God, I pray that this is a, a, a catalyst moment in their life where they start to begin to focus on you and the focus of their life is how do I glorify Christ today? How do I do that? How do I do that in my business? How do I do that at my job? How do I do that in school? God, God, teach me. Holy Spirit, give me the wisdom and the confidence to do that to my peers and coworkers. And I pray today would be that catalyst moment. Holy Spirit, strengthen your people. Strengthen them. And Lord, I bind the enemy and I pray that you would shut doors that you do not want opened in these people's lives and in my life. Shut the doors, Lord, so we can't even open them. So we can't even open them. And I don't care if we, we kick and scream to want it to open. I pray you'd shut it so tight we couldn't get it open. And only open the doors that you want us to walk through. I pray that right now. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen.